in here with us. It's good to have you in, in Zoom. Um, kids, we have Kids Church, if anybody's left. I think they're already back there, which is great. We do have uh, one announcement I want to let you know about and one greeting. Um, our superintendent, or every time I say that, people are like, what do you mean? So our bishop, uh, Garth McGrath, is here from our denomination with his beautiful wife, Nancy. They've been supportive and were a huge part of us starting this. They believed in Pastor Jamal and I and have been a constant support and place of care. And um, we went to Oscar Slider Bar yesterday and I got some lefsa, so I was so happy. Um, just thank you guys for joining us. They're in town to visit our sister church, Grace, as well, and, and joining us. So thanks for being here. Thanks to everybody. One announcement that we want to let you know of, uh, watch your email tomorrow because we're going to give you the location for our very first, we're calling them community conversation. They're a bit like our, um, our table talks were. Um, not every church who was involved in table talks wanted to go forward for different reasons, so we're kind of just shifting it and doing it a little different. Pastor Rob is heading them up, and this, this one will be next Monday, so it's, it's, it's soon, but next Monday, and it'll be with some elected officials, some people running, and just what does faith and politics look like together? And so we're going to have some questions already lined up. There will be some time for you to ask questions as well. And for us all to just discuss it, we'll hear from them how they view it, and then we'll have time to just figure it out for ourselves as well. Not that we're going to have the answers, but hopefully improving and better questions and dialogue around it. So we're starting those off again, which is great. First one, a week from Monday uh, in the evening, what does the relationship between faith and politics, okay? All right, we are starting this new series today that I have been both very, very excited about and very much like I wish we had three years to prep because I'm a little intimidated. And we've called this one the good, the bad, and the body. And uh, I want to start with a couple questions, and these are not really rhetorical. You can just sit and think about them and ponder if you want. If you answer back, that would be lovely because this is like a small group in a big room, right? So first question, and it's not a trick question, but how have you known God? Like, how have you gone through the process of knowing God? Or even dare, how has God, how have you become aware of God knowing you? Like, what are the things that have helped you to know who God is? We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning, and I want you thinking about that. What are the ways in which I have known God? Yes. Prayer. Prayer. Worship. Good. Nature. Nature. Community. Good. Difficult times. Absolutely. I don't like that one. I don't like that one. But it is, it is way too true. In our, in our Thurman Club on Wednesday, we talked about sometimes when we are suffering... We're just more aware of our body, more aware of our need, and more aware of God being near. And I don't know why, but it's just true that when I'm coasting through life, I'm less aware. Good. Any other answers we want to give? 
Okay, good participation. We're, we're doing as well as they are. <laughs> Second question. What do you think of when I say both words, faith and your body? When we say both of them together, what do you think of? Shame. Pain? Shame. Shame, I'm sorry. Yeah, shame. Especially, I think that's a gift for people in our age group who, who grew up, and I'm not putting this on you, but who grew up in like the purity culture kind of stuff. There's an extra understanding of body just means sex, sex just means you're wrong, and <laughs> just shame is everywhere. Like, that's, that's a little bit of, of reality. I feel like there was an answer over here that I talked over. Disconnected, yeah. Sometimes they don't feel like they belong in the same conversation. The temple. Yeah, I mean, this is where the Holy Spirit is to dwell, right? Within our body. What do we do with that? Inconsistent? Yeah, okay. I like that. Steadfastness and perseverance. And I think ideally, that's what I want that relationship to be. I don't know that that's where I am today. We're going to talk the next seven weeks about some things that none of them are theoretical. They're all very embodied. But for me, some of them are more aspirational. I, I hope that I am here soon than they are I am already here. You know what I mean? Often we don't give the microphone to anyone until they've already got a story of I was there, it was horrible, and now I'm all better. That's not this series. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. A third question here. What do you think of when you think of the word flesh? Sin, the world. Chain. Misunderstood. Weakness. <laughs> okay, real talk. When have you tried to refrain? <laughs> Missouri changes people. That's all I know. <laughs> Desire. Yeah. Longings. Yeah. Yeah. The true self. Okay, so I like this. We have very, and I think the longer we sit in this word, some more things come up. So kind of what we're going to do this series is a bit like what we did last year in Genesis and at different times. We're going to have a time where, like, we're going to explore this in a little bit more of a normal sermon, those questions, a little bit, for the next little bit. Receive communion, and then after that, for 15, 20 minutes, anyone who wants to stay and keep talking on it. Some weeks Whitney will have an exercise, some weeks we'll just have dialogue, whatever we want. But let's, this is not about me presenting, here is a, a well-crafted anything. This is a let's kick up these ideas and see what God does in that.
Because the end goal of this series is that we live with a more embodied faith. Where our faith is not just theoretical. Where our faith is, hey, it is embodied, and not in just a generic body. But my faith has to live out in this body. This very Norwegian, right ear going up every time I talk, body. Like, that's what has to happen. This body that produces wolverine hair. hair. But sadly, they've taken this word, sarks, and they've translated sometimes into flesh and sometimes into sinful nature. And the word means both, but they are making a choice each time which one it is. And we need to pay attention to that because we have just equated sinful nature with flesh. We've said they're just the same thing, and they cannot be because Jesus came in the flesh. He did not come in sinful nature. He did not sin. So the word means both. I'm not debating that. But we need to be very careful and attentive to which one we're talking about there. One is a humanity that Jesus came to be within, and one is a sinful nature that Jesus came to conquer. Right? Very different, very distinct. So anytime you see those words in your Bible, just pay attention. I'm not saying they got it wrong, but just pay attention that the original word could have meant either. We've got to be careful to not just throw away our body. I was taught the body was bad, and particularly growing up in the 90s, every youth group thing was like you play a game, you listen to loud music, and then you hear a talk about God loves you, but don't go have sex. That would be really bad. Your body's bad. All those urges are bad. Read your Bible more. It'll cure that. (laughs) And some of us probably taught those messages. And grace to you. But that is how it was understood. And the mind was good. So the way to conquer those urges was just to read more, just to consume more, just to fill the mind. And when we do that, that's like, oh, your, your inner Gnostic is leaking. It's, it's showing. You know, like, oh, that false teaching is, is showing there a little bit. We would use texts like Romans 7 out of context, and we would call it theology and say that we should ignore the body and engage the mind. Now, that wasn't everywhere in the church, but that was in enough churches. In the historically black church, it is less present, but it's still present. There are a lot of historically black churches that really embody their faith, but sometimes that's just the suffering part of faith, of their body, and ignores other parts. There's parts of Catholicism in, in our Latino Latino church that really embody their faith and involve their body in worship, but there's still this understanding that the flesh and the body are bad. And we do damage if we believe that. And then in the Western evangelical church, we've kind of risen to power and authority a bit. And we've started to regulate what behaviors and understandings of God are good and which ones are bad. And we've started to police a little bit. And what has happened is we've put guardrails on God. Not even guardrails on God, what God has actually done, but we've started to say that how we understand what God did in Scripture determines what God can do in the future. I understand that God did this, so God can do that again. But if God didn't do that, He cannot move in that way. And we started to really police a lot of things 
in ways that are out of line. Esau Macaulay draws attention to this by saying, Euro-American scholars, ministers, and lay folks have over the centuries used their economic, academic, religious, and political dominance to create the illusion that the Bible read through their experience is the Bible read correctly. Everybody has been reading the Bible from their locations, but, and he's writing as an African-American here, but we are honest about it. Everyone is reading from their location, but in the U.S., we only hyphen some people. It's, it's a feminist reading. It's an African-American reading. It's a, it, like if, if I translate something as a white male, it's just a reading. We've got to start paying attention to our bodies. Everything that you're hearing right now is from a white male raised by a mom and a dad with a brother and a sister in Minneapolis in the 90s. That's everything. With, with, I, I like to hide in books, and I like to garden, and I picked up pickleball. All of that is the context and the body. In which, and I'm not a, we, we shouldn't feel shame over that, we should, but that is the lens in which I understand everything. And being in community with you has started to change my lens a little bit, which is why we need each other. But that is how I have understood everything, because it's the only body in which I've ever lived life. As long as I have, can remember, these were my hands. Apparently, there were, I lived a couple days, and then I realized that these were hands, and I probably ate them and played with them a lot. But as long as I could remember, these were my hands. And these were my feet. This is in where I have lived my life the most is in this body. But what happens when our faith says God is good, but our body screams, I cannot be ignored any longer? You know what I mean? That moment when you're like, God's good, my life is good, but your body's like, you can't walk because your leg hurts. And you haven't paid attention. You, you remember last year when I broke my foot and I told you I went to the doctor and the doctor was like, you have to say when you're hurt. I can't help you if you don't say when you're hurt. And I was like, quit being mean to me. I'm hurting. We have to pay attention there. What happens when our faith stays silent but the bodies of the people around us are suffering from disease or from oppression, from violence? What happens when people are being honest about their body? I had a conversation with an African-American woman recently where she said, historically, me and my people have been a commodity and I feel it. I have, I'm feeling it in my body that other people make decisions about me because they think that I just produce for them. And she was honest. She was like, those other people look like you. And so when I see you, I'm not excited because you look like the people who determine what I'm worth. What does our faith have to say to that? If our faith doesn't have anything to say, we've got a problem. Because that is happening all around us. What does our theology have to offer? Yesterday afternoon, I get a text from uh, my sister that my aunt and uncle that I grew up down the street from, I hung out with all the time, that my aunt's brain cancer is back and my uncle's Dementia is, is worse, and they both were admitted to hospice on the same day. 
What does my faith have to offer Dick and Joan? And what does my faith have to offer my two lovely cousins who I deeply love, who are fearful of a thousand things because they should be, because that's their mom and dad that they deeply love, and they're watching their mom and dad who are faithful church attenders their whole life, they're watching their bodies just disintegrate. What does our faith have to say? What does our theology have to say? James Cone says we cannot afford to do theology unrelated to human existence. We can't. And as in a church even this size, we have to be paying attention to our physical bodies because we, we've, there's a lot of illness represented here. There's a lot of pain represented here. We're aging, we're aching, disease, all of this. What does our faith have to offer? Because if it doesn't have anything to offer, it's not very valuable. If our faith doesn't have anything to offer people who are embodied right now in their real life, in their real bodies, then that is not a valuable faith. And I'm not saying this as a bummer. I'm actually saying this as like, I'm extremely hopeful because I know that I know that I know that our faith has a lot to offer. We've just got to do some work. We've got to be honest about some things that we maybe were never allowed to be honest about before. I'm not mad at anybody. Let's just do it now. We can. We've got the time. We've got the space. So how do we see our body, our flesh, theologically? It is true that that word sarx means sinful nature. And it is true that it means flesh. And it means flesh in the kind of way that Jesus could come enter into it. So your body and my body are not good. They're not bad. They're really mysterious, right? Our body holds a lot in it. It is the place where the Holy Spirit dwells. That place you would dust and vacuum. Before the Holy Spirit comes, you'd be like, oh, I better fluff those cushions. That is God. If, if the Spirit whose first name is holy dwells within you, that's a big deal. That means don't you dare just call yourself bad. Don't you dare agree with a voice in your life that says you're just evil, or you are what you did, what was just evil. No. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you. The Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in evil places. It conquers evil places. But if we don't attend to our body, we won't really know. You see, your body is not just good. It's not just good. I wish I could say it is, but it's not just good because there's disease and there's, there's pain and there's illness. There's urges that we shouldn't chase after that our body produces because of our minds involved, all those kind of things. It's, it's not just good, but your body is not just bad. You're an image bearer. You're the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Jesus took on a form just like yours. Our bodies are a bit of a mystery, and our faith is to be lived through it. And so finally, how does God reveal God's self? We talked about that at the beginning. Where? I love that we're talking community and we're talking prayer and worship. A lot of churches that I've visited or the one that I've worked at, the really only acceptable answer would be Scripture. You know, and then like, oh yes, of course, other places. But the place that really matters is Scripture. So it's fascinating that we have all these other answers because y'all are my people. I love the Bible. 
But this quote is really helpful for me. Luke Timothy Johnson says, Scripture is best understood not as containing revelation, but as in participating in revelation. Scripture is the revelation of God. But if it is only a past tense thing, then we're reading about somebody else's experience. It's like watching the Food Network when you're hungry. That doesn't make any sense. That's like taking a vacation from work and just watching the Travels Channel. That doesn't satisfy anything. Scripture is to point to how beautiful and broad God is and how God has worked throughout human history. And as that happens, the Holy Spirit sparks things in us and highlights words. That's why you can read the same passage over and over and different parts jump out at you because your body is in a different time at different places. And like to that day, that's what jumps out. And that's how God reveals who God is. But where does God reveal who God is, it is always in your body. If it's going to stick, it is in your body. And I say this because we can intellectually agree we are children of God. And if that only stays in our intellectual thought, then we're going to leave this place and act like God doesn't know who we are and be afraid that God doesn't know who we are. That's why so often on Sunday or after a Bible study, we'll feel encouraged. And I I learned this new thing that's sticking in my head. I know this in my head. And then our body will betray it because it didn't get into our body. But if into the core of who you are, you can know that you are a daughter of God. You are a son of God. You are a child of God. And that isn't just an intellectual thought, but that is like in your gut or as, as the New Testament says, in your kidneys. I don't know why the kidney, but that's what it often says. If that gets into your kidneys, it's not getting out. It's embodied. That's what we want here. You see, this is why the truths that we know intellectually don't lead us as much as the lies that we believe in our hearts. We follow what's in our body. This is why when it comes to our trauma, we can't read books to get through it. I've tried. I've got like a whole shelf. That doesn't bring healing. Now, if God chooses to reveal who God is through one of those pages and it gets into my heart or we get in a conversation and my kidneys change because I start to heal, that's different. But that's an embodied thing. That's why you can say the same words over and over We can sing the same songs over and over, hoping that at some point it leaves our head and leaks into who we are. We sing about God being good over and over because if God is not good, we will run from any encounter with God, right? The body is the place where God intends to reveal who God is. And this church can't and won't legislate whether you can experience who God is or not. Go, go to Acts 10. Read about Peter and Cornelius. Go read about when, at times when the church has tried to say who can experience God and who can't. It doesn't work. God moves in people. He moves in you. And so instead of this next seven weeks, instead of us talking about let me say where God has hit me and my body and you all like take that in like the food channel let's be attentive to how have you experienced god in your body let's assume that you have 
Let's tell stories. Let's talk about the pain it is when you can't tell your story. Let's talk about these things and start going through this. Jim Wilder in this great book, Renovated, writes that there is nothing more important to realize to understand about spiritual growth than that fact until it hits your body, it hasn't hit you. So let me tell you real clear where we're going the next couple weeks. Because I don't want you to be surprised. Because that's not fun. And that can cause some stuff. Next week we're going to talk about suffering. And we're going to talk about compassion. We're going to talk about compassion towards one another, but we're going to talk about compassion for ourselves as well. We're going to use Scripture as our guide because God has given us a great guide. The week after that, we're going to have a panel of a few different people who are going to talk about the way that they have seen Scripture through their bodies. William Mack's going to be back. He's going to talk about he only understands Scripture through being an African-American male. That, That informs everything. And instead of that being a bad thing, that's a beautiful thing. But we're going to talk about that. He's not the only one on it. We're, we're confirming a couple other people, but we're going to, that's going to be our sermon for the day. Just how has your body informed how you understand God? The following week, we're going to be talking about listening to our body as a voice, as a worthy voice, and finally having a space where people will listen to our bodies. It's tragic how many people have been silenced, and we want to begin to at least be a place that reverses that. We're going to look at eternal hope in an aging body. How do we have a hope that grows and grows as our body fails and fails? We're going to talk about telling a mending story, not one that's perfectly put together, not one that's finished, but that God is healing, that God has begun it. And then we're going to end talking about thankfulness in vulnerability. How is it that we can live with gratitude where we still feel vulnerable? Where we still feel unfinished? And each one of these will be a bit like today. We'll have a sermon and then we'll have a bit of time afterwards to, to go through this. I want to encourage you. Uh, I always would say this, but particularly on this kind of thing, if we need counselors, let's get counselors. If we need uh, therapist or something like that, talk to me. We, there's resources around. We'll point you to somebody. I think besides that, a spiritual director is a gift. We have several spiritual directors in this church. If you want to meet individually with a spiritual director, do it. I'll connect you with them. Let's be praying for each other. Rodenbos have a small group that's going to be a meal, and the only real formal part besides eating that they're going to have is they're going to pray for the needs of the church. And so if you have some needs, we're, Josh and I are going to be talking e- each time to just say, hey, here are the, the needs that aren't confidential that I know of that I want you to have. Uh, Sarah has offered to pray with people every week. If you have prayer needs or people here that, like, let's, let's do this together. And at the end of each sermon, like, maybe plan on being with us another 20 minutes each week. Maybe if it starts next week, whatever. But we're going to have time for you to talk. It's not helpful if I'm just talking at you, right? Hopefully we're talking with each other. But a time for us to say, Matt, I don't like that. I think you're wrong. Or I'm afraid you're right. Or whatever you need to say. Okay? But that's how we're going to navigate this next couple months.
I want to invite you this week to just... Uh, here, here's your homework, if, if you'll accept homework. Take a bit of time, and that bit gets to be determined by you. And start to become at least a sojourner with your body, at least a traveling companion with your body. Quit fighting it. Maybe let's not be mad at it. Maybe even dare to ask your body, hey body, what do you feel today? A really good practice is to sit in a chair and just notice what your body's feeling. The middle of my back's tight today. I wonder why that is. My knee hurts again. I hate when my knee hurts. When you feel hungry, eat sensibly, but eat. When you feel tired, don't be mad at yourself that you're tired and try to do more things. Slow down. Let's be kind to us. Slow down, Rob. (laughs) I know that we are given good news to the whole of who we are, right? And this is the time where we can start to embrace this. So we're going to receive communion in just a moment. If you don't have cups, Pastor Rob's going to get some, so go ahead and raise your hand. And before we do this, I'm going to read for you a scripture in Isaiah, and I'm going to read it twice, okay? Because I was reading this one this week, and I noticed that my body had a reaction. My body had a reaction partially because of the storms that were happening in Florida. My body also had a reaction because I want the promises to be true, and all of this was at the same time, and I was like, huh, okay, I'm feeling these verses. And so I'm going to read them over twice, over you and I, and then we're going to receive communion. But in a phrase that you may have heard in church before, I want to, and pay attention to this phrase, I want to let you let these words wash over you. Have you heard those words? Think of what that means. Let these words wash over you as we read them. Isaiah 54. This is like the days of Noah to me, just as I swore that the waters of Noah would never again go over the earth, so I've sworn that I will not be angry with you, I will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. This is like the days of Noah to me. Just as I swore that the waters of Noah would never again go over the earth, so I've sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall never depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you.